Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast in our series on advocacy. Before we jump in, I want to state how important this topic of advocacy around mental health truly is in our country. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five youth and adults experience a mental health challenge. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among ages 10 to 24 and the 10th cause overall in the U.S. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, there was an estimated 1,400,000 suicide attempts in 2017. Our guest featured today is brave, fierce, and vulnerable, and I am extremely honored that she would share her story with us on this series. Nandi Freilich is the Director of Innovation and Technology for the Ripon Area School District in Ripon, Wisconsin, where she supports and encourages educators to create innovative change in their classrooms. Her passion lies in reinvigorating and re-engaging teachers back into their profession, as well as what is needed to support teachers in their pursuit of innovative and divergent thinking. She consults with school districts and post-secondary institutions around the country in the effective use of technology to support great teaching, conducts workshops, and presents in keynotes nationally. Her first book, The Fire Within, Lessons from Defeat That Have Ignited a Passion for Learning, discusses mental health awareness for teachers. Her book, Divergent EDU, is based on an organizational structure she developed to support teachers in innovation and divergent thinking. Mandy's personal story and struggle with mental health challenges fuels her passion to advocate for mental health awareness. In this episode, we learn about what it is like for her to live with suicidal thoughts and her suggestions about how to assist others to overcome their own challenges. The episode focuses on depression and suicidal thoughts, though Mandy is specifically an advocate for educators around all mental health challenges. Though some of the content may be challenging to hear, I encourage you to step forward with her in this message. I am honored to amplify Mandy's advocacy story. Welcome, Mandy Freilich, to the In Awe Podcast. I am so honored that you are taking time out from your day to share with the listeners your story, and you are being featured on the series on advocacy, and I couldn't be more excited to have listeners come to your story today. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. I know that many of my listeners are familiar with you, but some aren't. So would you be willing to just share quickly what your current context is? Um, Sure. So I um, live and work in Wisconsin, and I'm currently the director of innovation and technology for a small school district, uh, sort of in the middle east of Wisconsin. (laughs) And um, often (laughs) I... uh, I usually find myself speaking about topics like, um, you know, topics that are difficult for people to talk to, but try to open up the doors uh, for those types of things. And and whether it's um, mental health or even some pieces of leadership that people don't like to talk about, um, I like to push those boundaries. So that's kind of what I what I do. And I absolutely love that you're in this small corner of the world, but you're making such a broad and wide impact on the profession on, on a space that is really important. So in regard to those kind of topics, I want to kind of get right into the story here. We have you featured on the series of advocacy, though we could put you in a lot of spaces because you have a very strong passion for a particular topic and specifically around the concept of mental health issues. So would you just share a little bit, Mandy, about your story in terms of what fuels your passion for that? 
Yeah, absolutely. The whole advocacy around mental health really began with um, having having mental health issues myself as far as depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and some of those things. And um, really just feeling like, you know, well, for uh, to give a more concrete example, you know, we put sports figures up on this pedestal, like they went through all this adversity and, and look at look at them now type stuff. And, and we have ESPN doing shows on and how amazing they are. But then we have teachers in those same positions who are not getting paid a million dollars and uh, who also can't talk about it. And I feel like we expect inhuman um you know, inhuman traits from very human people. And so when I originally started talking and and advocating for mental health, it came from a place of I was tired of not being able to talk about it, especially when I felt like there were some strengths that I gained um, from having mental health issues, which is not typically how people look at those things. But my story started, I I had a a very abusive childhood and, um, you know, it it caused some post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that. And I'm not sure what makes kids look at situations differently as far as, you know, if you have multiple children growing up in the same household, why is it sometimes that one child uh, can view things as being wrong and other kids kind of fall into, you know, the depressive states and into that into that trap. And I'm not sure what causes that. Um, But I do know that I knew that the things that were happening in my family were not normal for as long as I can remember. Just because you know that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't internalize what's happening. And so I developed um, depression and anxiety at a very young age. And I um, had uh, this kind of undercurrent of consistent suicidal thoughts. And this is the part of depression that people understand the least um, and that they don't like to talk about the most. And so it is one of those areas that I, I try to talk about as much as possible because I think the more we talk about it, the be- the more likely we are to understand it. Well, thank you, first of all, for putting your life message out into the world, because I bet you have found through your work that there are so many more people out there that need this, that need you to open these doors to make them feel like they can start to own their stories and realize maybe that they aren't alone. Because you talk about the stigma around mental health, we know that that is a concern. And I really value that you talk about celebrities pushing it, which is good, because it helps kind of push forward that um, idea that we don't need to stigmatize the conversations. And I, I love just seeing you as this kind of worker bee in our space in the world where we're all just, you know, not celebrities and not making millions of dollars, but we are still facing these things. So thank you for that. And I'm just curious about your work when you are advocating for people to learn more, speak more. What is your mission, I guess, when you're working with a, a group of people, when you're speaking to organizations? Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that um, because I'm a director of uh, innovation and technology, the typical conferences I go to are technology conferences. My, I, I do have one session uh, in particular that is focused completely on mental health. And 
I've had a few tech conferences be willing to take that on, which I've been honestly really impressed by because they could say, that's not tech, so we're not taking it on, but they have. And the last conference that was willing to do that was um, Ties in Minnesota. And I remember one participant coming up to me afterward and she said, the whole time I was walking here, I kept thinking to myself, why am I going to a mental health session at a tech conference? I came here to learn tech. And to be honest, I um, I try to slip it in everywhere I possibly can because I think that people I, I've I've never spoken about it where people have not resonated with the message and whether it's through themselves or through a family member it doesn't matter. Um, I I get messages multiple messages a week on um, you know. Voxer and and Twitter and things of people saying, you know, that's exactly how I feel, or I'm struggling with my daughter who's dealing with depression, and none of us really understand it. And so I try to get those that message out as much as I can. Now I'm not a counselor, obviously. I mean, not even not even a school counselor. I'm no no type of counselor. <laughs> so I don't often, um, I don't ever recommend you know counselor type things like therapist type things. It's always more of you need to learn more about, and here's what I know, and this is what works for me uh, because I want people to figure out what it is that works for them as well. So that's kind of usually the message is around awareness and education, destigmatizing so that people are more comfortable talking about it. Well, and that has such great value. It really does. Um, So thank you for doing that. And I'm really interested in just this idea that those of us that work in education, and I would say more typically probably with the middle and high school um, students with the suicidal ideation and the thoughts, it is, it's kind of paralyzing when you know that teenagers are having those feelings and you're not a counselor, you're an educator. <laughs> and maybe you've been trained on QPR, which is that question, predict, refer, mental health, um, first aid trained. We know that the biggest thing is that destigmatizing and just having the further conversations. Would you give a little bit of an insight in terms of what you're thinking, because you said that the suicidal thoughts are, I can't remember how you framed it, but it was really good, Mandy. It was something about that they're hardest to understand and the the things that people don't like to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I think that um, depression is a little bit different for everybody and how it manifests itself. But one of the things that I deal with the most and I've always dealt with is, um, is the idea of uh, suicidal thoughts. And uh, as of this month, it's only been um, a year and three months since the last time that I made a plan to end my life. And it's almost like um, I equate it to being sober, uh, you know, from alcoholism. It's it's the whole thing never goes away. It's a daily fight for me. Um, but in, in those those victories, those not going through with the plan. Like that's when my, my time starts over of celebrating every day that I didn't do it. When I was a teenager, my, I, and I, and I talk about this in the book, the fire within. And honestly, I, I had quite a few people who said that, you know, the chapter, my chapter in the fire within was too, um, too sad and it was too intense, but I wasn't doing it for necessarily shock value, but I wanted people to understand really how things work in people's heads, you know, when they're like this. One of the things that I dealt with when I was a teenager, I specifically remember once I had my, um, my driver's license, I had this little a Geo Metro car. It was like there were lawnmowers that were bigger than this car. It was very, very tiny. And I remember there was a road that 
I had to drive down and the speed limit on the, it was a backcountry road was fairly high for being what it was. And at the end of the road, it teed off. And at the, at the end of the tee was a huge tree. And I don't know if there was ever a time that I went down that road that I didn't think about um, keeping my foot on the um, on the gas and just running headlong into the tree. And um, I would play chicken with it sometimes. And you know, how far could I get before I slammed on the brakes? And I would chicken out and and these types of things. And and I would fantasize about the car just you know, what it would look like when it crashed against it. And and the reason I tell this story is because for people who live in this world, like those thoughts are very real and they're also um, almost uncontrollable as far as having them all the time. And, you know, I, I just, I really, really want people to understand what that looks like in somebody's head. Now, I think we make the mistake when we, um, when we talk to kids uh, because depression is so different. I think we make the mistake um, of always, focusing on the feelings. Um, And I'm not a psychologist, so maybe there's some sort of psychologist or psychiatrist reason why they never focus on the neuroscience. But, you know, as far as feelings for depression go, that's not controlling my feelings is not necessarily how I look at how I control my depression. When I have these thoughts, I'm very heavily focused on what would be more neuroscience um, as far as uh, I need to recognize that there is a piece of my brain that's not working correctly. Uh, Like I would have a a broken arm, you know, and I've given the example before is if I, if my arm wasn't working right and uh, I couldn't get my arm to work, couldn't get my arm to work. And if, if I thought that there was nothing wrong with my arm, that it just wouldn't work, I would be so frustrated and, and, you know, why won't my arm work? But if I knew it was broken, I would know that it needs to heal. I need to cast, like there are things that I need to do in order to make my arm better. And it's sort of the same way for me with depression is that I need to recognize that there's a part of my brain that's broken and that I need to deal with that and use my strategies in order to uh, make it better, which would be equivalent to putting a cast on my arm. And understanding that my brain isn't working correctly and how I can change my thinking is is the key to how I get better. Focusing on my feelings doesn't work for me. And I do think that we make that mistake as, well, tell me how you feel, you know, that that's not going to help me. So um, for anyone whose brain works like me, uh, maybe a little bit more um, logical than, you know, emotional, maybe a little more linear than kind of uh, not linear, chaotic or whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever <it is. laughs> yeah. uh, for people like me, the feelings talk isn't going to work. And so I think that we just need to recognize that there are different things that are going to work for everybody. And that instead of trying to push our strategies onto somebody else, it's more important to help them learn what their own strategies are. There's so much that you've said that's so powerful, Mandy, down to this idea that you can, I don't know if you're thinking yourself away from the thoughts, but you're processing your own thoughts and the level of awareness and mindfulness Mindfulness uh, that that would take is staggering when you're talking about equating the lack of a plan for one year, three months, how long? Yeah, it's been about a year and year and three months going on a year and three months. It, you're equating it to that idea of, you know, getting sober. It is um, it's habits, you know, that you're trying to retrain, but habits that you don't necessarily have control of. It's just such a fascinating side that you're giving the listeners. When I think about that, 
I want to make sure that the listeners here too, because you're, we're talking about advocacy with mental health in general and your focus today, thankfully, thank you for doing this on the suicidal thoughts and the depression. When you advocate and you help other adults that are struggling with their depression, again, not through a counseling lens, but through an advocacy and awareness and, and all of that, what are some of the other challenges that people face? Oh, geez. I've, I've spoken with people just about multiple things. Um, you know, OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. I also speak about even burnout and, um, and secondary traumatic stress pretty often. Uh, I've spoken with people who have eating disorders. I mean, you know, anxiety, it really runs the gamut. There's so much out there. Bipolar seems to be something that is coming up more and more as something that is a challenge for people either in their family or that with themselves. So there are, you know, while I talk about depression, I talk, I speak about depression because out of all the things that I deal with in the mental health arena, it seems to be the thing that is spoken about the least. You know, people will are, seem to be more willing for whatever reason to talk about anxiety, but not so much depression. And so that's why I take that one on. Um, and also because I've worked so hard to keep it under control. Uh, medication does not work for me. Um, I've been on a million different kinds of medications. They don't work. Um, I am really sensitive to side effects. And so um, I've had to, and, and, and in that same breath, I'm going to say my daughter who has um, depression and anxiety is on a medication that has worked wonders for her. So I am definitely not against medication. It just has not worked for me. So I've had to develop strategies because of, um, because of that. And I think that for any kind of mental health disorder, there may be people out there like me who, who can't take medication and who are trying to deal with this on their own that, you know, I, so I do focus on depression, but there are so many other mental health related issues that can come up in our profession. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with our listeners, because I wanted to make sure that you're able to instruct us on that a little bit, because sometimes it's easy to just put a blanket or an umbrella over things and it's just not the case. And I really love how you delineate, you know, anxiety and depression, and we're willing to talk about anxiety more. Do you have any ideas about why that might be? like from your own experience and and what you've seen? Well, I do think that the more people talk about things, then the less the, you know, the less stigmatized they are. And for anxiety, I don't, I don't know why one thing seems to become more accepted than others. Maybe people who aren't familiar with anxiety and depression often look at them as being nervous and being sad. Maybe just in general in our society, being nervous is more widely accepted than being sad. You know, we often push. Um, we're also busy and, and everybody's busy and doing things and we wear it like this badge of honor. And with being busy, of course, nervousness is going to come along with it, even though anxiety is so much more than that. But nobody ever wants to admit wants to admit to being sad. You know, we put our best foot forward out on social media and we want to make sure everybody thinks we have these happy families and, and all of this. And so, uh, again, even though depression is more than being sad, I think kind of uh, with those, the way that society views those things, being nervous just is more accepted than being sad, if that makes sense. It does. And thank you for providing that perspective. I also was curious about with your advocacy, I'm sure that you've, if your own experience with you and um, your daughter and the people you've encountered through your work in this space, what are some of the stigmas or the myths that that kind of come up a lot and maybe even the ones that just drive you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, um, some of those myths that come up are, are basically when somebody who doesn't understand a mental uh, health issue narrows it down to what would be the simplest form. For example, if you have um, a bulimic and somebody might say, well, just stop throwing up. Okay, well, <laughs> if they could do that, they certainly would. You know, that's if I have, if my anxiety is acting up and I feel like I'm having a panic attack, telling me to stop being nervous is not going to solve that. Because anybody who's dealing with a mental health issue, they don't want to feel that way. Um, if they could control it, they certainly would. And take a, a mental health issue and you make somebody feel like what they're feeling is ridiculous because it can just be controlled. I think that that's what drives people the most crazy who actually do suffer with the mental health issues. Um, just because I can logically work through my depression does not mean I don't fall into a depressive state. Just because I know my top five strategies to deal with my anxiety does not mean I don't have panic attacks. Um, just because I have learned to deal with those things doesn't mean they go away. And so if you know somebody who's dealing with these things, the best thing to do isn't to say to them, well, you need to just get over it. The best thing to do is to say to them, have you developed strategies to help yourself? And if not, is there something I can do to help you with that? Those are the things that they need in order to really start helping themselves get through their mental health issues. I really value your gentle way of handling that question. And I'm just going to step in and, and say I asked it a little bit selfishly because there are some stigmas and some myths that really drive me crazy. You know, I have a personal connection with this topic because I do have a brother who completed a suicide. And I think that our society is just so quick to cover over these challenges and people who who have struggles that are consistent and constant. And I wish I would have known that he was having those thoughts, but we don't have a society that welcomes those conversations. As you were saying, I won't want to get too much into those you know, regrets or whatever. This is not a podcast for me, but I think about things like when people say, well, they're just trying to get attention. And I don't even think it's maybe intentional uh, for the people who are not experiencing those feelings, but, and I will put it back into the framework of the education system, like students. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't want to talk about it because we don't know how to fix it. We don't want to talk about it because we are afraid. We don't want to talk about it because we don't want them to think more thoughts. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that when I say it drives me crazy, we got to get rid of that. We have to be able to talk it out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and then first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry about your brother. Uh, a couple things. So one thing that you said that I was thinking about was what you said about if we if we talk about it more, kids might think about it more. If we used to say uh, something like that in regards to homosexuality, right? Well, if we talk about it, more people are going to be homosexuals. That is absolutely ridiculous. Let's just say for a second that let's pretend that a student is saying that they're going to commit suicide for attention. Okay, well, clearly they are missing something that they need in order to not try to get that attention. They are trying to get attention for a reason. Um, so instead of focusing on, you know, sweeping it under the rug, how about we focus on what is it that they're missing that they they won't find that way to attention seek. And, and as far as recognizing the symptoms, you know, my daughter 
uh, is 13. And two years ago, she told my son and my other daughter that she was going to commit suicide. Actually, one of the catalysts for there's going to be a follow up book to The Fire Within, where we focus on student stories. And one of the things that I start the next uh, book with is um, there should have been nobody on this planet who could have recognized her symptoms better than me. Um, I am her mom. I am the one that is supposed to be closest to her. I am. Um, I, I deal with these issues myself. I have had these thoughts my whole life. There is nobody that should have been able to recognize that, and I never saw it coming. And so I think that in situations like that, there are so many regrets because uh, when it comes down to it, talking about these things is sad. <laughs> it's very sad, you know. And nobody wants to nobody wants to deal with the sad things. Um, but there are times that we have to, or things will continue to get sadder. And um, so with my with my daughter, once we figured it out, um, the benefit of having me as a mom, I guess, is that I was able to, I knew what to do once I knew, mm -hmm. but I missed all the signs. I don't think it's something that we can, can feel guilty about when things like that happen because sometimes people with those issues, they don't talk about it and they don't talk about it because we have made our entire, you know, like all of the people in our society who are depressed feel really bad about being that way. So I think that, you know, for that reason, opening up these conversations is just crucial. Yes. And thank you um, for that, because what I keep hearing from you is that it's not a one and done either. You know, when I think about all of the individuals that I've been blessed to be in that space where maybe they did talk about it and I could work through it with them and provide them then the supports through a counselor or honestly, they don't want to do it. They don't feel ready. I'll I'll just come back again the next time and listen and help them feel okay about having those feelings, but try to figure out a way to help them in the way that I could. And I look back and I've got a kind of a lovely trail of students that are thriving in adulthood, but probably still have the same challenges. They just don't go away. And I think that's saying that um, I value so much in your message and in your life message and what you're sharing now with your story about your daughter. It's so hard. Um, and, but you're willing to have those conversations for the benefit of others too. And I'm so thankful that you're doing that, Mandy. It's just, it's huge. Thanks. And you're, you're right. It is definitely not a one and done. And the other thing is too, is that the attitude that we go into helping uh, people with mental health issues needs to be checked as well, because in many cases, there's going to be this scenario where the person who needs help is going to be, um, is not necessarily going to know how to receive help. Uh, either their pride is in the way or um, they've never gotten it before. So they don't really know even what that looks like. I mean, there could be multiple reasons as to why that is. And if you go into the situation um, with the attitude of, well, I offered to help and they wouldn't take it, that is actually going to hinder any, any kind of help being given to that person because then all of a sudden anyone you've said it to isn't going to try to help either because they think it's going to be denied. So understanding that they might, they might not even know how they need help. Um, they might not know what that looks like. Um, they might... 
even think that you have an ulterior motive for helping. You know, I mean, lots of different things can be running through their head, like mental health issues. It it knows no boundaries and it, it lives by no rules. And so really understanding that it's, it may be complete baby steps to even get them to come around to the help is really important. I'm thinking in terms of the listener who hasn't um, either had these experience or, or has the best advice you'd give if, if say, um, there, somebody is listening to this podcast and they, they have somebody who comes to them within the next day or two or year or whatever and says, look, I've been thinking about ending my life and, and this is how I'm going to do it. What, are, what would be the most appropriate steps for a person in that situation? Uh, well, of course, it depends a little bit on, you know, if it's a student, obviously you have to report it. I think from the same, just like a human standpoint, the best thing to do is to just be quiet and listen. For goodness sakes, try not to give advice. Um, Try to allow them to say everything they need to say before you even begin to give advice. Because in some cases, they might not be looking for advice. It might be a cry for help, but that help needs to come in a different way. Um, You know, maybe that help needs to come in the form of actual, actually being admitted to a hospital. You know, there are so many different things that need to happen and almost none of them will start with, well, you need to just stop thinking that way, you know, or you need to just stop being sad. Recognizing that how they think is very real to them is, is probably the most important first step. For example, my depression often tells me that, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fake and I'm a phony, I'm a fraud and I'm stupid. And I don't, you know, I don't know as much as the next person and I have to work five times harder to even be mediocre. And, you know, this, these are the things that my depression tells me. It doesn't matter how many times you tell me that that's not true. I'm still, that's still what my brain is saying. So instead it's better for me if somebody says, um, you know, what is it that we can do to break those cycles that break that cycle of your thoughts? For me, it's activity. And I, and I don't, necessarily mean exercise, uh, even though I I should be doing more of that too. But uh, for me, it's activity as far as um, playing a board game or something. Like it can be seriously something like that. It's not the fix, but it's the first step in breaking that cycle. But also that is uh, me knowing what my strategies are. And so an important piece of helping somebody can be to, you know, once you, once you have the story, once you are sure they're, that they are not on the path to um, completing their plan, once you are sure that they are, are stable, helping them discover what their strategies are, even introducing them to what having strategies is, can be powerful. Um, sitting next to them as they call the doctors and they call the insurance. And, you know, when I when I had built my plan the last time, it took me three months on my insurance in order to get in to see anybody because my insurance company's um, database for doctors was not updated. And so I would call and they either wouldn't be in business anymore or they wouldn't be covered under insurance anymore or they wouldn't be taking um, patients. And then one of them that when I called, they wanted to admit me right away. And I sat and thought about what the teachers would say about me in the teacher's lounge if I ever got, you know, didn't come to school because I had been admitted to a mental health facility. And and so I, um, I, sw- I called a different doctor because of that. And so just sitting next to them and helping them dial the phone uh, to to find somebody to help them is 
is powerful as well. So I guess in its simplest form, I think just being there for somebody, holding back on any like major kinds of advice, or especially if you don't understand what they're going through is important um, and helping them get the help they need and develop strategies, I think are, are some things that can be done. Mandy, I just want to thank you again for the open way that you're sharing that experience and the barriers that you that you face, even when you're, you're reaching out for help. It just kind of blows my mind with the system and thinking about that with the insurance and has me a little hard to interview well right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, you know, I've I've spoken about it so much that I want to say that I'm desensitized to it, but I'm definitely desensitized to speaking about my own story simply because, um, well, not only did I live it, so I I know exactly how it ends. And, and you know, it ends with with me having a beautiful family and a good job and in a profession that I love. And so, you know, I've spoken about it enough that I can do it without tearing up and I can do it without getting too emotional. And, and that's helpful because I want people to know that this is a sad thing. Mental health, you know, mental health issues, it makes life difficult on both the person and their family. Um, but it doesn't need to be the be all and end all of things that happen. You know, there are supports in place for people to get through things like that and to work together and, and live, uh, you know, a relatively normal life, still being aware that it's always there. Yeah. And I am so thankful again that you can point out and and be that person out there that is is really highly regarded professionally, that you're working hard in a school, that you are impacting people and you're facing these challenges and you're overcoming them and you're making the world a better place by the mission and your own message by doing that. So thank you for being willing to do that and for sharing it. You have a lot of influence around you and what would be a lesson that you would share about being an influential woman to inspire others who might be in a pit of doubt or fear and they need to hear your voice right now? Um, The one thing that has given me um, kind of solace in a world where I feel like I have no control is, uh, you know, cause sometimes like mental health, mental health issues will give that to you and make you feel like you have no control. Um, even just, I mean, my goodness, you don't even have to have mental health issues to feel that way sometimes just with how quickly the world moves. And, um, what I found that helps me is to remember that you cannot always control what happens to you, but you always have control over the way that you react to it. Um, and, you know, you can either allow adversity to really consume you or you can choose to move forward. Um, those are the choices that you have, and that is the control that you have. Um, you don't need an external catalyst to change. You do have the ability to be your own catalyst. And so I feel like my life is out of control. That brings me back down to where I need to be so I can focus on where I need to go. Wonderful advice. And you're right. It would hit with anybody regardless of uh, mental health health challenge or not. I have another question for you too. If you had a, a chance to make a difference for in the life of all young women, what change would you enact for them? Helping them to understand the difference between um, what is reality and the reality that people try to create for you, which can be two different things. Um, so having the ability to weed through, um, you know, what is, what is 
actual and what is perception. And, you know, people would argue that perception is reality. And I do believe that that's true uh, to a point, you know, at some point we really have to look at the facts and see what's going on around us and, and piece things together. Because if I believe the reality that my own parents created for me, I would think that I was dumb and stupid and, and um, you know, not worth anything and, and couldn't ever finish college. Um, you know, and I have a bachelor's, two masters and an EDS. So we, we know that that's not true. And so being able to weed through what is reality and what is the reality that somebody is creating for you and know the difference. Wow. What an empowering gift. Love that advice. Just trying to make sure that we get inspiring recommendations from you because we're coming to the end of the interview here and I could probably talk to you for hours. In terms of some recommendations. You've already given us so much great information for this topic itself in regard to learning more, but what recommendations would you have for us to explore in regard to learning? Like when you say it's time to learn, where would you direct us to? You know, so the Canadian government seems to really have their stuff together when it comes to uh, mental health support. Honestly, when I go through uh, one of the first places I I go uh, to look for different mental health supports is typically Canadian websites. I know that sounds goofy, but they really do put a lot of things out there. Um, there is um, a website called Anxiety Canada, for example, that provides um, supports for anxiety, uh, recognizing what kind of anxiety you might have, educating the person, and then giving them strategies for help dealing with their like very specific, very concrete strategies for dealing with whatever anxiety issue it is. Uh, that is a great, a really great website. Another one that another organization that I absolutely love, also Canadian, um, I would say all my favorite people are Canadians. Hey, I'm with you. We got a lot of great Canadians for sure. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, it, it's uh, it's called Jack.org. And what it is, is it's um, an organization that trains students to speak out about mental health. Uh, organization is predominantly in Canada, but there are chapters starting to pop up around the U.S. And I've spoken to my own school district about looking into it and seeing what, you know, what it is to adopt a chapter, but they actually do train students to become public speakers in the area of mental health. And I think that's amazing. Wonderful. I will make sure to link the show notes so that our our listeners can check that out. How about um, somebody to follow on Twitter? One of my strategies for uh, dealing with any of the issues that I have is to have a strong PLF, professional learning family, because um, I don't have an extended family. So I need my friends to be my family. And uh, so the, the, what I actually put down was the hashtag my 53s, M Y five, three S. And I would follow any of those people on there. Now my 53s is my close knit, um, PLF that I have. And, uh, all of those people on there are amazing, uh, people to follow. So that would be, um, Rodney Turner, Evan Abramson, um, Jared Borman, Tisha Richmond, uh, Jen Cassatod, Rochelle Dean Poth, and Jamie Donnelly. So they're amazing people. Awesome. Well, I'll put that, I'll link that in the show notes and follow that hashtag to find a wealth of really great people to check out. How about a, a book recommendation? favorite book lately has been, it's actually not an education book at all. It's called The Body Keeps Score, um, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by uh, 
Bessel van der Kolk, I think it is. And, um, it is just a really well-written neuroscience-based book um, explaining explaining how trauma works to everyday people. And while it's not, uh, there are some education references in there, it's more of a, well, like I said, a neuro, a psychology, neuroscience type book. Um, but as I was reading it, I started to think about students that I'd had in my classroom or, or my own daughter or things that I've done. And all of a sudden things started falling into place for me. And so it's an awesome book for uh, just getting some background information on that. Oh, thank you for that, that recommendation. Do you have a podcast that you would like to recommend for the listeners? I do a podcast called Teacher's Aid with John Harper, and it, it focuses on um, emotional support for teachers. And I really do love that. Um but I would also recommend John Harper's My Bad, which is a podcast focused on um, when people make mistakes and what they learned from them and how they moved forward from that. And uh, he also has a book out that where he talks about some of the episodes that he had um, that were really uh, powerful. And so I highly recommend either one of those. Thank you. I will make sure to link up all of your recommendations in the show notes for the listeners. This episode has just been full of all kinds of great resources to look at and love that you recommended John's work um, and your own too. It's really important messages that you're sharing with the world that we can fail and we could fail forward and learn. And it doesn't have to be the end of our story. And I just value that so much. So I am going to go ahead and link up for the listeners how to get in touch with Mandy. She's got um, two, two books out and uh, we'll make sure that the listeners can find those easily. And then we'll be also championing you and looking for that third book uh, when it comes out, Mandy. Okay, that sounds great. I'm excited. Thank you so much for giving us this incredibly uh, raw, vulnerable, helpful and instructive on inspiring interview today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This episode affected me deeply, dear listeners, and I applaud Mandy's bravery in sharing her struggles and advocating for us all to open up the conversations that are hard. Removing stigma starts with dialogue. And this is an issue we all face, but we also know that in 2017, men died by suicide 3.54 times more often than women, and that white males accounted for 77.97% of suicide deaths in 2017. If you or someone you know are experiencing a mental health crisis and are in need of immediate assistance, contact the National Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. For everyone who's hearing this message, I ask you that you help Mandy's critical advocacy reach masses by rating, reviewing, and sharing the episode. I know there is a mission in her message.